This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Tuesday, June 28th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I am managing. How are you? <laughs> I, too, am uh, managing. Yes, that is that is a good way of putting it. <laughs> I listened to this podcast called Gen Y, which is like true crime, but hosted by two very nice men. And they always like ask each other how they're doing today. And one of them <laughs> is always like, eh. <laughs> like I'm, and it's not like a bit really like he genuinely he's like very open about like, I am basically constantly having a hard time. And it was like, <laughs> good job being honest with that. There's um. We use Microsoft Teams at my day job, and they they have the like animated emojis now. And there's one that is like a, a little emoji face, and it's got black long bangs like swept over one eye. And then when you put it in, it like blows the bangs kind of out of its face, and it's like very emo look. And like that is the emoji that I have felt for like many weeks now. Oh, little banged emoji. But it's funny because every time I. I look at it, it makes me laugh because it's such a funny emoji, like this little like yellow face blowing its black hair out of its eyes. It just makes me laugh also, but well, that's my that's my feeling. We should all take our joys where we can. <laughs> Tro- so these trouble times. <laughs> oh my gosh. Speaking of, oh yes. wow. I have a that's a real segue. I watched Fire Island last night. I'm a little bit behind the trend of everyone else watching it and seeing how good it was. It was so good. I didn't really know that much about it, despite yeah. a lot of people I follow talking about it on Twitter. But um, Joel Kim Booster wrote it and stars in it. He's uh, very handsome. And it's like him and his best friend. And it, But it's Pride and Prejudice, which I did not – I somehow did not absorb that fact when people were talking about it. But it's just mm. – it's gay Pride and Prejudice – and uh, like set on Fire Island, and it was where oh. is Fire Island? Uh, let me like, is it a real place? Up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because every time I see it, I'm always like, is that the Fire Festival documentary? Which it is not. Oh my gosh, someone else said that to me today when I was talking about it. They were like, Fire <laughs> Festival, and I was like, no, Fire Island is like a very okay. Wait, it is the large center island of the Outer Barrier Islands, parallel. To the south shore of Long Island, we need oh. to say island more, uh, in the U.S. state of New York, according to Wikipedia. Oh, so it's okay. New York, basically. But it has a very long history of being a place where gay men can go, basically, and, like, oh. be themselves. So, and the movie talks about that, which is also cool. And it just gets so much into, like, like niche parts of the subculture. I, one of my coworkers, he was talking about how many, like, throwaway jokes they have where like you will get it if you're like a queer man and i was like trying to get him to tell me so i was like i don't think i picked up on that but it was just like 
it was so great. And it also dealt with like issues that like queer men face in, in, and like, like within like this larger grouping of them. It's not like, you know, this like homogenous group. Mm-hmm. And oh, so good. That sounds great. And my sister has been trying to get me to watch that because she loves Pride and Prejudice. Uh, and we just haven't watched it yet. But now I think we, I think we, we definitely should. I just like advise sitting down because. I feel like I'm also just talking about it like, oh, it's like addresses issues. But honestly, Michelle, my wife and I were constantly being like, oh, like it was so <laughs> cute. It's so cute. Oh, that is that is a delightful endorsement. Uh, the thing that I am watching right now that I really enjoy is uh, Rutherford Falls, which is a streaming show on Peacock um, about a small, I think, New England town where uh, it stars Ed Helms. Yeah. As Nathan Rutherford, who's this guy who lives in Rutherford Falls, he's, like, deeply connected to this town. Uh, and there's a Native American community that's close by. And so there's just a lot about how those those different groups interact. But I'm not explaining it very well because I my brain is, like, toast right now. But it's super funny. It is deep and very specific jokes that I really uh, enjoy. So Rutherford Falls, if you have not watched it, is also very good. Are you watching season two? Yes. Oh, got it. Yes. Have you seen season one? I have. Ah, season two is, I think, so far it's it's better, I think. (gasps) And I thought season one was quite amazing. Yeah. I mean, I thought that it was doing some really interesting things that I really appreciated. And some parts I found very, very funny. It wasn't like always a total click for me, but I did enjoy Mm -hmm. it. But if season two is even better, I've got to give that a look-see. I don't want to like spoil too much of it, but... Nathan is in the process of becoming more woke and in the process of like decentering himself, the story gets more interesting and like he gets much funnier. Oh, nice. If that says enough without spoiling. Anyway, Rutherford Falls, uh, season two. Thumbs up. (laughs) And with that, uh, let's hear from our first sponsor. All right, great. So our first topic every week is nonfiction in the news, which is just nonfiction in the the world that we think is interesting. So uh, I have an article this week. Uh, It's called Former Chronicle Reporter Signs Deal with Jamie Lee Curtis on Paradise Fire Movie, which is from Datebook. Uh, And so uh, this book or this article is about uh, Lizzie Johnson, who is a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, who wrote a book called Paradise, One Town Struggle to Survive an American Wildfire. I came out last year. I think it was one of my very favorite nonfiction books of the year. It was so great. Uh, and so she has signed uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis's production company to turn the book into a movie. Uh, so... Uh, Lizzie Johnson, the article talks about how she worked for the San Francisco Chronicle f- until 2021. Now she works for the Washington Post. Her book was uh, came out of all of her on-the-ground work for the Chronicle uh, covering the Paradise Wildfire, uh, which is a huge natural disaster that happened in California, uh, largely due to climate change and neglect by an electric company of their equipment. It is just... Uh, Super good. The article says that Jamie Lee Curtis heard, uh, got excited about making the movie because she heard an interview with Lizzie Johnson on NPR uh, that helped that prompted her to read the book, and then uh, that is what helped bring it to a movie, which I think is super cool. That is super cool. Yeah. So uh, there's nothing in the article about when the movie might come out, but. I just I think it will be incredible because her reporting was just so detailed and she really did an amazing job like 
pulling out individual stories that help tell like a larger uh, narrative about why this fire happened. Uh, So I think that will be really cool adapted into a movie. Jamie Lee Curtis seems so great. She does. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just like, what a long career. Also, the Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday is quite good (laughs) in terms of entries into the the cinematic pantheon. (laughs) Astute commentary on the work of the extensive uh, filmography of Jamie Lee Curtis. I know she's been in other stuff, but... That one probably impacted me the most. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so that is our uh, our news for the week. And so now we will jump right into our main topic for the episode, which is we're going to do a 2022 book preview. So we want to look ahead to the rest of 2022 and share some of the books that we are looking forward to that will be out in the next six months or so, which is what the rest of 2022 is, whatever. Um so we're not going to talk about all any of these in super great depth because obviously we haven't like read them or really looked at them, but uh, just some stuff that's on our radar that we thought you might care about. Well, we've looked at them, but well, we yeah. haven't read really them. super. Yeah, we haven't read them. Yeah, we've seen the publicity around them, and they they seem exciting and interesting. So, uh, my first pick is actually it's actually out today, the twenty eighth, the day we're recording. But I'm going to put it in a preview episode anyway because I want to. Uh, And it is called The Tomorrow Game, Rival Teenagers, Their Race for a Gun, and a Community United to Save Them by Sudhir Ventikesh. Uh, It comes out again today, the 28th. so it'll already be out by the time you hear this from Simon & Schuster. Uh, and so Sidir Ventikesh is a sociologist, and he's done several books that are kind of deep uh, sociological and reporting looks at communities in Chicago. Uh, and so this book is about uh, families surviving in a South Side community, South, South Side Chicago community. So the book centers on two teenagers. Uh, it says Marshall Marriott, an introverted video gamer and bike rider, and Frankie Paul, who leaves foster care to direct his cousin's drug business while he's in prison. And so um, Frankie comes up with a plan that he's going to attack Marshall because it is his best chance to showcase how tough he is and win respect from the crew that he's trying to lead. Um, Marshall finds out about the plan, decides that they need to go after Frankie to like defend their honor, and it kind of goes from there. And so the book is about what happens around these two boys and in the community to like diffuse this situation that threatens to get completely out of control. Um, And so I have loved his previous books. I think this one sounds really fascinating. Um, It sounds more contained perhaps than some of his other books, which I'm really interested in also like how that um, kind of less, uh, less big picture view, how he, how he does with that. So I think that would be really interesting. So the Tomorrow Game, Rival Teenagers, The Race for a Gun, and a Community United to Save Them by Sudhir Ventikesh. My first pick for 2022 book preview part two is The Colony, Faith and Blood in a Promised Land by Sally Denton, which might also come out this week. This book is like, oh, I think you would actually be really interested, Kim, because it's like religious mm-hmm. offshoot, but also, okay. So in November 2019, Uh, Nine women and children were murdered in um, northern Mexico by the Sinaloa drug cartel, or the attackers were, it was presumed they were part of this. So the people who were the victims were members of the LeBaron and Lamora communities, and these were, okay, fundamentalist Mormons. This means they are not part of the Church of 
Latter-day Saints, the main branch of Mormonism. So back in the late 19th century, when there was like polygamy in the Mormon church, when they first started, and then when they went west, and then at a certain point, they were like, okay, that's not allowed anymore. And so if you hear about like polygamous Mormon communities, those are not part of mainstream Mormonism. It's always like, usually, you know, guys being like, but I want to have many wives. Mm -hmm. So these people moved to northern Mexico. And what this story is, it just sounds so fascinating because Sally Denton goes back and like tells the story of how they ended up there, like how they broke from the church in the late 19th century. And then there was like a blood feud in the LeBarons in the 1970s. And then they were allied with Nixium, which huh. is like another, it's like a bonkers cult which now the the leader is in prison. And then it talks about like their interactions with Sinaloa and how those like got worse and worse and basically ended up in this thing in 2019. So it goes from late 19th century all the way to like basically present day, but also containing all these fascinating stories. So very interested in this. It is The Colony, Faith and Blood in a Promised Land by Sally Denton. You are correct. That sounds very good. Yeah. Oh, man, so much there. A lot of stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my next pick, I uh, got on my radar because I the title and the subtitle are so good. So it's called Normal Family on Truth, Love, and How I Met My 35 Siblings by Krista Bilton. It uh, comes out July 12th from Little Brown. And so this is a memoir. Um, Krista Bilton writes about her mother who um, was a single gay woman in 1980s California and who wanted to have a child but didn't have, obviously, a lot of options. And so she uh, was getting her hair done she, when she met a man and she was like, yes, this is the guy that I'm looking for. He is going to be my sperm donor. And so they agreed. They exchanged the money. And then uh, Krista was conceived. And so uh, she writes about how this man uh, kind of made appearances in her life occasionally uh, eventually became the sperm donor for her baby sister but that her mom didn't really know a lot about him beyond that and so uh, when Krista is a teenager a young adult she discovers that their her parents had been keeping many secrets and that she actually has many many siblings because of her father's behavior uh, and there's not much more in the description than that so I feel like this is a book you need to read to really like understand what's going on but uh just you know a lot of interesting stuff there about families and i love a, a good like complicated family memoir so normal family on truth love and how i met my 35 siblings by krista bilton oh my gosh as a lesbian who has done a fair amount of research into sperm banks and the various <laughs> uh like precautions that are taken by them this Oh my gosh, it's like going to make me break out in hives. Like a verbal <laughs> agreement. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Uh. So bad. Okay. Anyway. Um, that's just terrifying. Also, it's like the 1980s. So like, whatever. <laughs> there were no rules. No rules. <laughs> Laws did not exist. <laughs> um, but no, I understand. She was in a, a particular situation. But oh my goodness. That's... <laughs> <sighs> I just love... I just love order and... <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Safety nets. <laughs> okay. That's My next pick is Rogues, True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks by Patrick Radden Keefe. I was very excited about this because Patrick Radden Keefe has written really neat books, particularly Say Nothing, which is about 
the IRA in Northern Ireland. And that one I did on audio and it was great. And then he just had one that came out about the Sacklers. I wonder if I can say just came out. I guess it came out like a year ago. Mm -hmm. So what this is, um, you might be like, but for, you know, an investigative journalist or just journalist, uh, that's quick for him to come out with another book. True. But this is a collection of articles from The New Yorker that he has written. It is, of course, uh, framed around rogues, as the title might imply. So this includes stories like someone who forges vintage wines that cost $150,000, which... Very interested in how you do that. And whether someone who uh, exposed money laundering at a Swiss bank is a hero or a, quote, fabulist, which means someone who lies. So that's a fun word when you can just say (laughs) or a liar. (laughs) Um, He hangs out in Vietnam with Anthony Bourdain and talks about the quest to bring down a cheerful international black market arms merchant. So, like, just a, a, a wide variety as indicated in the subtitle of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks, because that that runs the gamut right there. So I'm very psyched about this. Uh, I love sort of like little, um, I was going to say snippets of stories, but that's not quite true because it's like the full mm-hmm. story, but just lots of different stories. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that is Rogues, True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks by Patrick Radden Keefe. Yes, I was excited about that one, too. He's or such a good writer and reporter, so anytime you get to like read a bunch of different examples of that, and the, the stories that they preview in the, the description all sound really fun. So, yes, yeah. excellent pick. All right, so uh, my next pick is another like historical true, true crime book, Return to Uluru, The Hidden History of a Murder in Outback Australia by Mark McKenna, which comes out July 26th from Dutton. Uh, And so this is a book that explores a cold case from uh, Australia's history, uh, the murder of an Aboriginal man in 1934, and um, a a white police officer and how uh, those different groups, those two people interacted back uh, in the 1930s. So so I'm just going to I'm going to read part of the description because I think it is I, I'm not going to sum it up better than this. So it says inside cardboard box 39 at the South Australian Museum storage facility lies the forgotten skull of an Aboriginal man who died 85 years ago. His misspelled name is etched on the crown, but the many bones bo- in boxes around him remain unidentified. Who was he and how did he die? His story reveals the layered, exploitive white Australian mindset that has long rendered Aboriginal reality all but invisible. Uh, and so Mark McKenna invest- wants to investigate this cold case, and so he looks back to uh, the policeman who was involved with the case, a guy named Bill McKinnon, who um, would, when uh, he had Aboriginal people as prisoners, he would track them across the heart of Australia trying to find them. So he finds them at a place called Uluru, a sacred rock formation, but then it's not really clear what happens after that, although I think maybe we can guess. Uh, and so this book looks into that story, looks into that police officer, uses his journals and stuff to try and understand his life, and then also how white Australians treated people who lived kind of at the center of Australia and were not considered people necessarily. Uh, And so it's a look into this cold case, but also a look at uh, white supremacy and how it existed historically in Australia and kind of how it still continues to exist today, which I think sounds relevant for American readers as well. So that is Return to Uluru, The Hidden History of a Murder in Outback Australia by Mark McKenna. That sounds so good. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to add that to my list. Return to Uluru. Thank you. And I'll be in the show notes. 
It'll also be in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, My next pick is Asian American Histories of the United States by Catherine Sinyaza Choi out by from Beacon Press on August 2nd. Um, This is part of that series. We talk about revisioning history, and it's particularly timely post the onset of COVID-19 where we had this surge in anti-Asian hate and violence, um, particularly in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so Choi uh, writes about that in her book. This covers almost 200 years of Asian migration, labor, um, community formation in the U.S., and talks about the contributions that Asian Americans have made in America. And I'm just... We, I mean, we talk about this with, like, again, every book in this series. We're just like, oh, so glad this exists. Oh, it's so neat that they have this series. And, like, this is yet another just, like, really um, – I don't – I always want to use words like important and pivotal, but just great contribution to, to have this book in existence. And you can just look at, like, U.S. history through a very specific lens of what a people have – contributed and what they have faced and i just love it okay anyway so it's asian american histories of the united states by katherine sinisa Choi. i really like that the subtitle says histories and or the title says histories instead of history because i think that particularly for like asian american like that is such a we ta- I think we've talked about that at different places. Like it is such a umbrella term that yeah. encompasses so many people from so many different places and so many different backgrounds that there it's not one story. It's it's many stories, and so I appreciate that in particular about this one. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Apparently, I'm on a like true crime. Like that's what I'm looking forward to. I don't really know what that says about my my mental state right now but uh, my next pick is also true crime uh the fisherman and the dragon fear greed and a fight for justice on the gulf coast by kirk wallace johnson this one comes out august 2nd from viking uh so kirk Kirk wallace johnson writes a lot of he's written his previous book was called the feather thief and it was a really great true crime look at um a burglary at a british museum where a bunch of uh bird specimens were stolen uh, is really good. And so I was excited to see that he has another book coming out because I think he's a really great crime writer. And so this book starts in the uh, late 1970s along the Gulf Coast of Texas. The It's about the fishermen there. Um, and at the time, they were having a really hard time. The um, waters were being poisoned by chemicals and uh, construction and stuff in the area. But uh, when they were having trouble getting um, fish and and other seafood, they did not blame those things. They blamed, quote, newly resettled Vietnamese refugees who had recently started fishing. And so um, in the midst of this, like, environmental crisis, these two uh, groups, uh, the white fishermen and the Vietnamese refugees, started to to have conflict between each other. And so the Texas Knights of the Ku Klux Klan got involved. Uh, There was a huge Ku Klux Klan rally. And just terrorizing this community. And so it erupted into a bunch of violence in the area. And so this book is about kind of how those two groups, what their conflict was, and then how it was kind of eventually resolved and who uh, stood up to represent the Vietnamese refugees and all of that kind of stuff. So um, it's a historical story about a, a conflict that I imagine has parallels today. So the Fisherman and the Dragon, Fear, Greed, and a Fight for Justice on the Gulf Coast by Kirk Wallace Johnson. 
I will say, number one, the feather thief is great. And number two, uh, yes, there's a lot of true crime in this episode, but I think it really is a wide array of true crime. That's true. That's true. So, uh, so, so there's that. That's why I just wanted to defend our <laughs> many entries. Uh, okay. My next pick is We Are Still Here, The Women of Afghanistan, edited by Nahid Shahalimi. This is a collection of firsthand accounts from Afghan women who, uh, it's said to be published it's coming out August 16th uh, for the first anniversary of the U.S. leaving Afghanistan. The Taliban seized control of the country August 15th, 2021. And basically, it's a, the, the women and girls in Afghanistan are, again, dependent on radical Islamists who reject gender equality. And so these women – oh, gosh, I'm feeling really evil. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. These women um, – Nahid Shahalimi – is an artist and activist, and she compiles 13 essays from Afghan women who have worked as politicians, journalists, scientists, filmmakers, coders, musicians, and more. And they talk about Afghanistan's past and their own upbringing, um, ways that they have been able to empower girls and women over the last 20 years. And they just report on, um, it says, the fear and pain caused by the impending loss of their homeland. And something that says at the end of sort of like the, the description of the book is just, oh, it says that Oh, gosh. Together together we must fight for their place in the free world because Afghanistan is only geographically distant. Extremist ideas know no limits. And uh, indeed. Indeed. So um, I just... Oh, okay. Um, so th- this book, again, is coming out August 16th, and it is We Are Still Here, The Women of Afghanistan, by edited by Nahir Shahalimi. That is an excellent pick, and I don't have anything else to say because it just it sounds really good. And with that, let's hear from our second sponsor. All right. Uh, My next pick as we continue on with uh, books we're looking forward to coming out later this year is called Kosher Soul, The Faith and Food Journey of an African-American Jew by Michael W. Twitty, coming out August 9th from Amistad. Uh, And so Michael W. Twitty is the author of The Cooking Gene, which is uh, a book that came out a few years ago that has been, I think, widely regarded. I have not read it, even though it's been on my list, but I, I know lots of people who have that. It's really great. Uh, and so this book is about, he explores, quote, the cultural crossroads of Jewish and African diaspora cuisine and issues of memory, identity, and food, which I just, that sounds so good. So uh, <laughs> this book kind of um, expands a little bit, I guess, I think on what he talked about in The Cooking Gene. So he looks at um, the foods and traditions of the African Atlantic and then of the global Jewish community. And so looking at how those two traditions connect with each other, uh, looking at how people from those two traditions have worked together to invent recipes and who who cook. I don't, I don't really know how to describe anything else about it like that. I think it's just an exploration of food from two particular traditions and how they come together in his life and in other people's lives. And I, he's just um, a really great writer and the cooking gene was so widely regarded that i i have to imagine this one is going to be really excellent too so kosher soul the faith and food journey of an african-american jew by michael w twitty oh that does also sound good i i looked at that to potentially talk about and so and obviously did not so thank you for talking about it so i do not even really know how to talk about this next book because so 
Okay, it is All the Women in My Brain by Betty Gilpin. It comes out September 6th from Flatiron. It is an essay collection, as of course these types of books always are. But Betty Gilpin is um, a very special person. <laughs> like, I... So not... Okay, so she's like... She's a great actress. I love her on Glow, etc. Her writing is like... Some people can just take words and just do things with them that you're like, how does your brain work? And that is how I feel about Betty Gilpin. I believe I've talked before about her Glamour article, which is uh, what it's like to have pea-sized confidence with watermelon-sized boobs. <laughs> and she just... um she says the present. Okay, one line from that article is the presence of my body in a room was like bringing a moose carcass to brunch, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> I know. And so, like, I am so, so specific and weird. <laughs> I think specific and weird is the name of the game here. Yeah. So I am so excited about this book. Oh my gosh! Like she like because there are so many celebrities who do write essay collections but like she specifically has this weird take on everything and oh it's just gonna be great i'm very excited the if you look at any kind of descriptor it is just a, a like a short little essay from her <laughs> which <laughs> just not make sense um but it's uh basically let's all read this book and talk about it. So All the Women in My Brain by Betty Gilpin out September 6th. Yeah, I think that you put the notes sort of like the book summary and there's a, a paragraph in the end that is just it's so great. It says, as a dear friend said after reading this book, it's either a masterpiece or it's completely. And then she glazed over into a haunted stare. Reader, this book is my opus and it is chaos. <laughs> That is just, that's so perfect. I can't even. This feels like one to probably get the audiobook for. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. Um, my next pick is also by another funny lady. Uh, it's called Bad Vibes Only and Other Things I Bring to the Table by Nora McInerney. Comes out October 11th from Atria. Uh, and so Nora McInerney is, um, she's a host of a podcast called Terrible Things for Asking. She's written a couple of previous essay collections about uh, losing her husband and sort of life after tragedy. Um, her whole thing is sort of like talking about the things that are terrible and awful to talk about and like finding space for those big feelings. And so this book is about, she turns her eye on our aggressively, oppressively optimistic culture, our obsession with self-improvement and what it really means to live our lives online. Uh, and so again, this is an essay collection. This one, it says, goes from her childhood to the present. And so she sort of looks at all of those things. I don't, the description, like, I still don't really have like a super clear sense of like what the thread of the whole book is, but I really like her writing. I think she is... Her writing came to me at a time when I really needed it. And so I think I have some like nostalgic sort of appreciation for it as well. But I'm looking forward to another essay collection that sort of takes on the idea that like we don't have to be this way. <laughs> so Bad Vibes Only and Other Things I Bring to the Table by Nora McInerney. Yeah, we don't have to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, okay. Everything's is going to be fine. Um, but maybe not. Okay. I am going to completely change the vibe and talk about Elder Flora, A Modern History of Ancient Trees by Jared <laughs> Farmer. This is a very me book uh, that I get to talk about because it's our podcast. 
And it's out October 18th from Basic Books. This is about the planet's oldest trees. <laughs> and I'm just like so excited about it. <laughs> um, this uh, goes from Lebanon to New Zealand to California, uh, looking at the history of the world's oldest trees, which um, includes voices of indigenous people, religious figures, contemporary scientists who look at elder flora in crisis if you look up elder flora by the way you will just find this book so i'm pretty sure he <laughs> coined the term but when i looked up the ancient trees of lebanon it's the cedars of god which like that's oh so cool um they're located in lebanon and they are one of the last vestiges of the extensive forests of the lebanon cedar that thrived across mount lebanon and uh apparently they are referenced in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is bonkers, <laughs> and the Psalms of King David. So they're very old, very old trees. Um, I couldn't find a number anywhere, which is weird <laughs> if they were talking about like, oh, these are ancient trees. It's like, oh, how can you tell? I thought it was the rings, but maybe, I guess you could take a core sample. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Okay, so old trees, if you're interested. <laughs> Elder Flora, Modern History of Ancient Trees by Jared Farmer. That is a great pick. Uh, <laughs> do you think that, Kim? <laughs> I do. It's very on brand. Uh, and I know that there are many people who appreciate nature books and will be excited about that. And I think it sounds, I, I think it does sound interesting. And maybe not a me book, but absolutely a you book and also a book that many other people will be interested in, I think. Okay, wait. I looked up New Zealand ancient trees. Yes. And it says swamp cowrie. Kauri, and they are prehistoric trees buried and preserved in peat up to 50,000 years ago. Wow. That yeah. is cool. That is cool. Very cool. All right. We're going historical true crime again with my next Woo! pick. American Caliph, the true story of a Muslim mystic, a Hollywood epic, and the 1977 siege of Washington, D.C. by Shanann Mufti, which comes out November 22nd from FSG. Uh, so this... I, I just I just realized too that a bunch of these books also take place in like the 1970s and 1980s. So like, was that just a particularly high crime time, or yeah. are we just like finally understanding the crimes that were happening like 50 years ago? It's a really good question because I want to say yes, of course, crime was higher in the 70s, but I say that with no facts, no to facts. back it up. But I believe the 70s and 80s are generally known as like the quote golden age of like serial killers. It was also like the golden age of hijacking, wasn't it? Like the 60s and yeah. 70s. So yeah, everything maybe was just really crazy then and it's not as crazy now because we don't have I I don't know. I don't know. I think there is a lot more safeguards that we have now, especially just referring to like airplane hijacking. I think it was when you in like the 70s, wasn't it like you walked up on that staircase mm -hmm. onto the plane and then you were like, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know about the other stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, point of this is, this is a book about the 1977 siege of Washington, D.C. So in March of 1977, men stormed the headquarters in Washington, D.C., the largest and oldest Jewish service organization in the United States. They took control of the building, and the 100 employees were hostages. A little over an hour later, three more people entered the Islamic Center of Washington, um, the country's largest mosque, and took hostages there. Others then went to the district building, which is a building close to the White House. A uh, firefight broke out, a reporter was killed, and another person was shot. There was a standstill of all of these hostage situations 
in the afternoon. And so the attackers in the three uh, hostage situations were from the Hanafi movement, which was an African-American Muslim group based in Washington, D.C. Their leader was a former jazz drummer who who rose through the Nation of Islam before feuding with the leader and then kind of separating off to his own thing and becoming radicalized. And so uh, this book is an account of this hostage situation and the man who masterminded it uh, based on archival research, access to declassified FBI files. Uh, and so looking back at what that, what that happened. Uh, and so I think I love a good historical true crime. This one sounds interesting. There's a lot of uh, different pieces connected to it, and I'm excited about that. So, American Caliph, the true story of a Muslim mystic and Hollywood epic and the 1977 siege of Washington, D.C. by Shahan Mufti. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's my comment. Okay. So, my next pick is very different, and it's Egypt's golden couple, How Akhenaten and Nefertiti Became Gods on Earth by John and Colleen Darnell. So, you've probably heard of these people. You've definitely, I mm-hmm. assume, seen the bust of Nefertiti, which is at the Sede Museum in Berlin, which is, of course, contested because it's from Egypt. But um, they're they're just generally famous. There, there's been a lot written about Akhenaten. Also, um, no one, like, basically the biographies have been uh, very contradictory. So... It's sort of like, what is the uh, what is the actual deal with them? So John and Colleen Darnell decided to write kind of a, a joint biography. And you know how I feel about joint biographies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love them. <laughs> so this is saying, who are they? What can we actually say about them based on uh, archaeology and just like what we have learned? Um, November 2022 is the centennial of the discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun. And you might say, why does that matter? Okay. They say that Tutankhamun was likely Akhenaten's son. Like, if you go on Wikipedia and you go on Akhenaten's page under children, it says Tutankhamun, in parentheses, most likely. So this is how they are linked. So it's talking about him. It's talking about his parents. Or not parents, because I think it's just Akhenaten and not Nefertiti. Uh, But then Nefertiti, like, went and ruled. But ugh, they're fascinating people. Dual biographies are great. So, check this out. Egypt's Golden Couple, How Akhenaten and Nefertiti Became Gods on Earth by John and Colleen Darnell. Everything with ancient Egypt is super interesting. That sounds great. Like you said. It just makes it makes me want to rewatch the mummy movies. Oh, so good. They are so good. Rachel Weiss, before she got all artsy, <laughs> she was cringing before a CGI <laughs> mummy. Amazing. All right, so uh, my last pick and our last pick for this episode is another science book, The Song of the Cell, An Exploration of Medicine and the New Human by Siddhartha Mukherjee, coming out October 25th. Siddhartha Mukherjee is author of The Emperor of All Maladies, which is like a 700-page biography of cancer, which sounds boring but is amazing. Um, He also wrote a book called The Gene, which is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, So this book is an exploration of medicine and a radical new ability to manipulate cells. Um, so he starts back in the, like, like his other books, he starts back in the 1600s, um, when 
like the first microscopes were created. Um, they, it's when people discovered the idea of cells and that what they what they can even do. And so uh, he goes from the discovery of cells and how that completely reframed how we think about our bodies to how cells are being used to treat all sorts of different kinds of things today and how cellular therapies work and modern science around the cell, uh, which just, you know, I wouldn't, this is one of those topics that I would not necessarily be like, yes, I would definitely like a long biography or like a history of cells, but because it's an arthromachy, it will be great and I will probably read it. So The Song of the Cell, An Exploration of Medicine and the New Human by Siddhartha Mukherjee. That sounds so good. It does. I need to read the I need to read Emperor of All Maladies because it's just on so many lists for nonfiction and it just okay. Maybe 2023. It's long, but it's great. And so those are just a few of the books coming out the rest of this year that we're excited about. We will talk about many more in upcoming episodes, but get those on your radar. There's a lot to be a lot to be excited about. And with that, we will wrap up this episode as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading uh, right now at this very moment. Uh, I am in the middle of a book I think we talked about on a previous episode, The Monster's Bones, The Discovery of T-Rex and How It Shook Our World by David K. Randall. Do you remember if we talked about this one before? We did talk about it. We did, yes. So as the subtitle suggested, it's a book about the discovery of T-Rex. The T-Rex was discovered by a guy named Barnum Brown, which it's just, it's a great name and I really like it for some reason. And he was working for uh, the American Museum of Natural History in New York, uh, and he went out and he discovered the T-Rex. And so the book is about kind of the birth of paleontology, and then after the, like, first initial burst, kind of what happened afterwards. Uh, There's also stuff in there about, like, the history of museums and, like, how museums at, like, the turn of the century were kind of being developed and different like models for that uh, which sounds boring but is actually <laughs> really interesting <laughs> you know it's just a, it's a it's a good book it is a fast read it's like less than 250 pages or about 250 pages so it's just like the perfect length of me wanting to learn about the discovery of a giant dinosaur the monster's bones the discovery of t-rex and how it shook our world by david k randall edit down all your books okay <laughs> I am currently doing the audiobook of The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. by Peniel E. Joseph, who has written a lot about um, Black Power history. And I was really interested in this one because, again, dual biography. But it's not exactly a biography. It's more talking about their act, like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr.'s activism and how they compare and contrast and how people usually see them as being diametrically opposed philosophically. But in actuality, Martin Luther King Jr. was, as time went on, getting more radical with his thought. And it's really fascinating. I think I'm in 1966, 67. So I'm near the end of the book. But um, it's just been really great. And it's made me want to read more about Stokely Carmichael. You can always tell when someone is like actually a huge nerd about something else other than what their book is about Mm -hmm. when like how nathaniel philbrick always adds boats into his books (laughs) and um peneely joseph wrote like stokely carmichael a life and in this book he keeps being like and then there was stokely carmichael being great and i was like (laughs) it's just very endearing and if you look at his uh peneely joseph's photo he looks like so happy and such a nice person. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I kind of want to meet him. 
<laughs> but anyway, it's The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. by Peniel e. Joseph. Uh, and with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Um, if you have a few minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that helps people find us more easily, and then you can follow us while you're there so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I'm Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. Podcast.